you. Okay, um, about two days ago I could barely speak. Um, I've been quite poorly this week. So if I suddenly stop preaching, it's not because I've had a revelation, it's because my voice is just packed in. Um, so Dave Hall's agreed to take over. I haven't asked him yet, but you know. <laughs> I know you can do it, he's a man of God. Yeah. Cool. Um, We're in a battle. I've been so aware of the reality of that these last two weeks. I have an enemy. We have an enemy, you know. Who did not want me to preach? I preached last Sunday and I'm preaching the same message again today as I preached last Sunday and he did not want me to preach. And it's been a battle. And it's not because this preach is a big deal, you know. He just doesn't like me simple as that it's not because I've got anything super special to bring he just doesn't like me doesn't like me talking doesn't like me having joy doesn't like me serving God doesn't like me knowing God's provision and his grace and his health and he's called a thief for a reason but you know what I've got a sword and so have you and it's not a replica it's way more powerful than any sword you've ever seen on the telly in movies Braveheart or whatever they're not really a big deal you know and my enemy doesn't actually have one he's got one of these little um, inflatable plastic ones you know that kids <laughs> when you hit someone it just bends yeah. it's funny but it's serious it's true because the scripture says I'm not being flippant you know sometimes people feel that you can be flipping about the enemy but sometimes I think there's a bit of a little something going on there of overestimating his power the, the scripture says no weapon formed against me will prosper any sword that he tries to put in me will bend when it hits me and I just kind of um, I, I, I couldn't eat or speak or do anything this week and, and I prayed and um, yesterday my little girl fell ill with the same thing my wife started to fall ill as well and it was so easy to kind of become despondent or overwhelmed you know but I, I kind of said to, to my enemy earlier this week I said I'm coming I'm going to preach I don't care what you do I'm going to preach and it's time you know maybe some of you are way ahead of me on this but I'm absolutely convinced it is my right to have divine health to never be sick and for my little girl to never be sick for my wife to never be sick for any of my work colleagues who have an ailment or a complaint or any of my friends or any of my family to be able to come to me and say John I'm sick can you sort it out and for me to say yeah let me just go to my father let me just ask my brother Jesus <coughs> that is mine and I am I am incandescent that I am not getting hold of it. I am not content to be sick. I am not content to be weak. I am not content to be powerless because I am not powerless. And neither are you. 
Not one person in this room is powerless against the things that your enemy throws at you. Because his sword bends and yours does not. The word that you stand on is unsurmountable, is unbreakable, unchangeable. No matter what we experience, the word remains. It is our rock. And I, I will not rest, I will not relent until I have what is mine. And, and, and do not rest. Do not accept a theology that supports something other than the rock on which you stand. That's just my, whatever, my rant. <laughs> so nothing to do with my preach. I'm just angry. Uh, Matthew 6, 24. Please. Just don't give up anybody, okay? Don't give up. I'm not saying I'm fighting and you're not. You know, we're all in this fight. Do not give up. Do not accept less than what is yours. Matthew 6, 24. <laughs> no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry. This is Jesus speaking. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying, you just got to ask yourself this question, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the fields, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will not he much more clothe you, or you have little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. <laughs> or, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with your stand? Or anything like that. Thanks, Corey. <laughs> That's high enough. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. If I'd suddenly got short sighted, <laughs> it's quite weird. Um, yeah, so do not worry saying, What shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It starts off by saying, no one can serve two masters. It's not a command that says, don't serve two masters. You can't. End of, okay? Either you're serving one 
or the other. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. So a question, what makes a king different from a boss? I work for the, the council in a department of, of two people and one part-time and we have uh, four bosses to cover the three of us. Actually, I'm, I'm being a little bit, a little bit facetious. Um, there's about 50 odd other guys in the wider department. But anyway, um, I've got good bosses, you know, and what they require of me is, um, is that from eight in the morning until four in the afternoon, that I do my best, that I'm honest, that I work with integrity, that I'm punctual, that I treat people around me with respect, that, that I do my best to do a good job. And what I do after four o'clock isn't really quite much to do with them whatsoever, as long as I turn up on time at work the next day. Um, if I'm in Merthyr Tisdale raising the dead, or if I'm in, in Carnarvon having a pint, it's not really any of their business, you know. A king, however, is different. A king requires our allegiance, requires your devotion, it's, it's, it's continual, it's your whole life, it's what a king asks for, a true king. They want your submission, your willingness, even to lay down your life. It's hard, in a way, to do this preach out of the, the Bible because we don't have much concept of what a real king is in worldly terms because there's so few left. Um, someone was telling me about the king of Bahrain is the one remaining king who has the authority to write off debt. He can just say to anyone who comes to him, if he chooses to, your debts are forgiven. End of story. That's a king. I think so, yeah. <laughs> Being the king of Bahrain and all that. Um, but yeah, a true king. But there are kings, and then there are kings. The kings who say, worship me, or I'll throw you to the lions. The kings who say, uh, fight battles for me, extend my kingdom for me, and I'll eat the best of your crops. I'll marry your daughters. I'll take 20, 30, 40% of all that you earn, of all that's yours. Then there's another king. There's a king who says, when they throw you to the lions, I'll shut their mouths. There's a king who says, when they throw you in the furnace, you won't get burnt. There's a king who says, even if you betray me, turn your back on me. Even if you give me up to be killed, I'll gladly lay down my life for you. I'll make you part of my family. And I'll make you part, part with me in my inheritance. And I'll teach you and I'll lead you. And we'll build our kingdom together. Which king would you rather serve, give your allegiance to? There's a king in the Bible, in the book of Daniel, called Nebuchadnezzar. And um, sometimes I think my boss is being unreasonable. I just have to think of Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> he had a dream. And he brought in all his, his wise men and his counsellors. And um, he said, okay... Listen, it's very simple, guys. Just need you to interpret this dream I've had because it's really worrying me. And um, if you don't interpret it, I'll kill you. <laughs> so uh, the guy's kind of uh, probably been used to Nebuchadnezzar said, okay, go for it then, king, tell us the dream. He's like, no, I'm not going to tell you the dream. Otherwise, how do I know you're not just making something up? So I want you to tell me the dream and the interpretation and I won't kill you. So the poor wise men uh, were in a bit of a tight spot. Luckily for the wise men, one of them was Daniel, a man of God. And um, he went to pray. If you want to read Daniel chapter 2, verse 17, 
I'm going to do quite a bit from Daniel, so it's worth looking across there. So uh, Daniel 2.17. Daniel prays. Good time to pray, I think, when the king's asked this kind of a request. Then Daniel returned to his house, explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from God concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. So Daniel quickly gets hold of the king. Says, hang on, don't kill all these guys. God has told me the meaning of your dream. So the king rewards Daniel, uh, still in chapter 2, over to verse 46. The king was so overwhelmed at what Daniel had done that Daniel could tell him his dream and the meaning of it. By the way, the meaning wasn't all that great for the king, but he accepted it as the word of God because Daniel told him the dream first. Verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honour and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Who is Daniel serving when he interpreted the dream? And who is he serving when he received the reward from King Nebuchadnezzar? You see, if a ruler from one, if a king who rules one kingdom sees a great warrior in another kingdom, he can't go and take him by force and compel him to fight for him, but he can try and entice him to come across and serve him. So Nebuchadnezzar was always trying to entice Daniel, offering him position and, 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 and great things in his kingdom. But Daniel only ever had one master. Turn over to uh, Daniel chapter 4 and verse 24. <coughs> uh, verse 24. See, this is another dream. And this kind of just shows who it was that Daniel feared first of all. And who was Daniel's true king. This is the interpretation of king. And this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass before you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. See, this is the same King Nebuchadnezzar who was going to kill all the wise men because they couldn't tell him his dream. 
King Daniel doesn't sound too afraid of him because that's not the kind of dream interpretation the king probably wanted to hear. Daniel shows who his true master was, that he was willing to honour God before honouring or appeasing this king. Daniel continued to serve in the kingdom of Babylon under three other kings. He only ever had one master, though. It was never one of these earthly kings. Another king, King Darius, again tried to um, entice Daniel. But there was men around Daniel who were jealous, who were envious of him and of his position. And they tried to trick the king into having Daniel killed. And they got the king to make a decree saying that everyone has to worship me and no other gods for the next 30 days because they knew that Daniel prayed to the one true God every day. And they made King Darius trick him into signing an edict that was irreversible, saying that anyone who prayed to any other god would be killed. And then, of course, they caught Daniel praying. Daniel had the edict, but he wasn't afraid. He only had one true king, one master. He went to his house, opened the windows, and prayed three times a day, asked God to help him in this situation. And the men saw him, of course. They'd set the whole thing up and went to King Darius and said, Look, Daniel's ignoring your command. And he's, uh, he's praying to his God. And although Darius was upset with himself for having been fooled, because he didn't want to have Daniel killed, in the end he had no choice. And had Daniel thrown to the lion's den. But it says that the king was up all night to and fro and he wouldn't have any dinner and he wouldn't have any entertainment. He was so distressed about what was happening to Daniel. And they closed off the lion's den with a, a boulder across the entrance and the king had put his own seal on it. It says the king went there first thing in the morning, so concerned, and he cried out, Daniel, has your God been able to preserve you from the lions? And Daniel says, yeah, he's close to a mouse. And the king rejoiced, you know. The king then knew who the true God was. See, we can see the effect, because Daniel only had one master. He only ever served one king. We start to see the impact that his life has on these men who were the most powerful men in the world at that time and far more powerful than Obama or, or Cameron, you know, not that he's powerful at all, but the people who have influence and power in our society, uh, so little compared to the influence and power that these men had. You know, under God, they had just power of life and death at a whim, which our, our modern day leaders don't have, you know. If they see the effect that Daniel's life's having on them, Daniel chapter six and verse 25, this is the same king who had him thrown to the lions because he wouldn't pray to to him only. He writes a little letter. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations and men of every language throughout the land, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel, rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And then back in um, chapter 4 and verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar has a similar kind of uh, letter to write. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. It's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. 
His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. <coughs> See, even though Daniel was working in their kingdoms, in an earthly kingdom, working under the authority of an earthly king, his true master was glorified. See, the word says, we read at the beginning, you cannot serve God and riches. You cannot have two masters. You can serve God whilst living and working in a system that values riches above everything else, that places value on things which has no true value, a system that expects us to give up our lives to just possess more and more garbage, more and more stuff that we don't need, that tells us that we can only truly be happy and fulfilled as we purchase more and more and more. And if you want, you know, car manufacturers offer us joy and uh, razor manufacturers offer us, I don't know, I don't know what they offer us. It isn't real, whatever it is. You know, the whole system is designed to make you think the more you consume, the happier you will be. You know, the TV, you turn on the TV and the, he who has the biggest house, the biggest car, the biggest uh, bank balance is seen to be most successful. You know, Dragon's Den, Alan Sugar, these are the people that are, this system elevates. But what do they have that has any true value? Nothing. If their character is, is so wrongly placed, if their priorities are so wrongly placed that they've given up their whole lives to accrue money and wealth and possessions, then how are they to be emulated or look up, looked up to? I watched this amazing thing. Um, does anyone watch Secret Millionaire? I love it. It's, it's, you know, it's kind of, uh, the title kind of gives away what it's about, so I won't bother explaining. Um, and this guy had gone to, to Brighton, millionaire, pretending to be homeless, living in a, a V-dub camper. And he met people as he went round, you know, and he was basically trying to decide who he'd give some money to to help out. And they give big sums of money away, and he'd met this guy who was basically living in a squat, and uh, he spent his time helping out in a homeless centre. And um, the guy just showed him unconditional love, and this millionaire was just blown away by it. Couldn't get his head round the way this guy treated him and just accepted him at face value, caused the millionaire to really question his whole life and what he was doing and what was valuable to him. But something he said that struck me, when the millionaire revealed who he was, he gave 25,000 pounds to this homeless center, which was an enormous sum of money to them, you know? And then um, this guy, the homeless guy, he'd arranged for the millionaire living in his camper to come and park his camper up in his yard for the night because he was getting hassle out on the street and it'd be quieter for him. And he turned the camera on to this guy and he was crying. And he said, um, he said, oh, I was just so looking forward to just hanging out with him t tonight. I was so looking forward to him coming and just parking up by my yard and I was having a chat. I'm really going to miss him. But yeah, that, that 25 grand's amazing though. You know, it's going to do a lot. There's a man who knows what's important. There's a man who has his list of priorities in the right order. The uppermost thing in his mind wasn't 25K. It was, it was a man, another human being. What has most value? So you live in a world system that's got that all mixed up. And I mean, you know, I assumed he'd be, he was crying because of the 25,000. Do you know what I mean? So he's got a better grasp of it than I have. See, so we live in a world in a system. So we live and work in a system that's governed by economics and... and, and continually convinces you to want to purchase more. But our master and our king 
is part of a different system and a different kingdom. <coughs> the current economic climate, that's a phrase I hate. So sick of hearing about the current economic climate. Everything seems to be because of the current economic climate. Uh, a few years ago, my wife, um, that's the beautiful one that Jackie mentioned earlier. <laughs> I haven't got another one. <laughs> yeah, she's sometimes scary. I don't tell her I said that. Um, yeah, she sold a mobile phone and bought me a really expensive jacket. Um, I do a lot of walking in the mountains. The mountains used to do a lot more before I had a little baby. And I used to do a lot on my own, just go off into the mountains um, for days on my own regularly. And um, I wanted to buy a set of waterproofs for 30 quid, being Scottish and tight. Um, I thought that was quite a lot to spend on a set of waterproofs. My wife spent a ridiculous amount of money on a set of waterproofs for me. Um, and actually, they're amazing. I can be sat in the middle of a massive storm, and it's howling, and the rain's lashing. I can feel it on my face just this little bit of my face here, and I can smell the rain, I can feel the wind buffeting me, and the dog's usually leaning on me, trying to steal a bit of heat from me. And, um, but I'm dry, completely dry and warm. No matter how many times I've worn this jacket out, whenever I come in after being out in the wet and take it off, I still check, and I'm still amazed that I'm dry. <laughs> you think I'd have got used to it by now, but... See, I'm in the middle of a, of a climate, a harsh climate. If I was sat there in a T-shirt, I'd get hypothermic in about 20, 30 minutes and I'd have a great deal of difficulty getting off the mountain in one piece. But I can be out there all day in those conditions and, like I say, come home dry. See, my jacket, my waterproofs, the outer part is in a different climate from myself. And I quite enjoy just sitting there watching it all kicking off around me, as long as I'm warm and dry inside. And the current economic climate is the product of a system it doesn't hold the same values that we do. And it's the product of the rule of a king, of a master who is not our master. It's the product of decisions on peoples of all levels of society that have been driven by greed. But it is not a product of the rule of our king and our master. And it is not what drives the kingdom in which we live. It is all around us and we can smell it and we can feel it and we're aware of it but it is not the kingdom to which we are subject. King David said, um, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He had it all kind of worked out. Jesus said, you know, don't worry about clothes, food, whatever. He said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's nothing I need to worry about. Elijah, in time of a famine, a famine which he prayed for himself because he wanted to sort the king out. That's the kind of power we have. He wasn't even part of the same covenant that we are, which is better. He put the whole nation to standstill. And he went out into the wilderness as directed by God and was fed by ravens. They brought him meat and he drank from the brook. And when the brook dried up, God said to him, go to the house of a poor widow in this other land. And he went there. He said to the widow, could you go and get me a drink of water, please? And as she was about to go, he said, Ian, can you bring me a loaf of bread while you're at it? And she said, I'm not lying. I've basically got one little jar of oil, one small cup of flour. I'm going to make one loaf of bread. Me and my son are going to eat it. And then we're going to die because we have nothing else. And Elijah said to her, 
no you won't die but go and make me a loaf of bread first bring me that loaf of bread and you see that God will take care of you and that one jar of oil and that one little bit of flour lasted her until the end of the famine Jesus' disciples and it was his disciples not Jesus fed 5,000 people with a picnic with a few loaves and a couple of fish Peter, the disciple at Jesus' instruction cast his line into the, the lake pulled out a fish and in its mouth was the money to pay the taxes this is the kingdom to which we are subject and that is the king who is our one master and these are the economics that drive the kingdom that we live in not the one that we're surrounded by not the, the one that we live in the one that we are in fact subject to it's driven by that one thing seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you all these different stories and the scriptures full of them all these people did was they listened to God they did whatever he said whether it made any sense or not and he provided all they had to do was listen seek first the kingdom because of this truth you can only have one master and our master is the king of kings the lord of lords not the, the ruler of this system and we are in a kingdom that is governed by him and by his rules in this kingdom there's no boom and bust there's no recession there's no downward spiral there is absolutely no out of control because our king our lord is in control of everything Jesus said because of this truth you can only have one master therefore do not worry he didn't say please don't worry or I recommend that you don't worry he said don't worry if Jesus gives a command anywhere in scripture then we are able to fulfill that command otherwise he'd be promoting sin he'd be creating a new sin so it's possible for us not to worry a square one and he commanded you know and it is serious and I'm a warrior you know I'm, I speak this message as a real warrior and God is helping me and giving me grace to, to learn not to do it because when we worry I'm calling into question God's character the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want when I worry that I'm going to want then I'm questioning is he really my shepherd I'm calling into question his character we just don't have to worry See, when we worry we make it hard for us to get God's provision because when we're consumed by what we don't have and what, what we need and what we haven't got and what we can't get and how messed up the system around us is and how it's all collapsing and it's nothing but bad news on the news every day and when you talk to people around you and the whole global economy is going down the tubes but it's not our economy yeah we can have concern for people and of course our hearts have been transformed you know it's in our nature to, to care for people but not to fear what's happening around us because this is not our kingdom that's going down the tubes as this kingdom around us goes down the tubes so people will more and more be given room to look for God so praise him for it I mean that, praise him for it because people, well, all these distractions will be removed from them and they'll have a chance to look at what's truly valuable see the kingdom around us says if you go fishing you'll catch a fish not a tax payment the kingdom around us says one jar of oil and one little glass of flour equals one loaf of bread and then you die our kingdom it equals enough end of story <laughs>
Another little thing I just want to clear up. I'm nearly finished. That's not a preacher's nearly finished. It's a real one. No. Um, it's just guilt, you know. We can get into financial difficulty because of our own wrong decisions. Because this world continually tempts us and we can, be, we can be tempted. We can be drawn away by desire for things and things that we think, if I have this, I'll be happy. I need this, I need that. And we can get into difficulty. And the society around us is in difficulty for that reason, the reason of greed. But we have to then remember who our master is, who our one true king is. It's him who works all things together for the good. All things means all things. That includes your bad decisions. He will work for the good. Don't say to yourself, the logic says, if I've done something wrong, I have to pay the consequence. That is the system around us, not the system to which we are subject. So all things means all things, together for the good. So if you feel worry and afraid, and you feel like the author of your own difficult situation, remember who your king is and the rules which he lives by. So that's it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That's our kingdom. And it isn't going down the tubes. It's growing. I just want to finish by reading um, a poem I was given. Just think, um, let me just put this down. Try and find it. reading this be good just to pray and if you're in financial difficulty then get someone to pray for you don't walk out the door you know seek first the kingdom isn't another burden or isn't a, a thing that God puts on us it's the key to being free it's the key to our freedom he says seek first the kingdom it's not, not to lay on us another command to give us the answer when you're worried seek first the kingdom it's the only way to be free, you know, so don't leave without asking someone to pray with you. I'm not saying you have to tell any personal details, you know, just get someone to pray, just start right now. So when I finish reading this, we'll just pray together and afterwards, if you want someone to pray for you, please don't leave without doing it. The poem's called Empty. <coughs> empty cupboards, empty fridge, empty stomach, full head. Full of sums that don't add up, full of stress and worry. So tired but rest runs away, faster than the credit limit, the precious time wasted. Good intentions give a flicker of hope, a moment's calm, then fill the full head with disappointment as they run away. Bed, still breathing, all limbs working, exhaustion's warm blanket brings a few hours of welcome oblivion. Morning. A large group of worries waited on the bedside table, ready to jump on at the slightest sign of wakefulness. Now they pile on like rugby players. The ruck and mall. Coffee. Makes them move faster. No escape now. A word that is light brings a sudden stop. Jolts like the train that came into the station too fast. Rugby players now playing statues. The word again brighter than the clear day outside that went unnoticed. 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Rugby players reluctantly slink away, leaving muddy footprints and uneasy silence. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It jolts again. The truth like a vast blank wall stretches in every direction beyond imagination's limits. A choice. Follow the rugby players back into the dark, endless marshes or embrace the truth. Father, I just praise you that you are our one and only King, our one and only Master. Praise you, Lord, that we are part of a kingdom that you take care of, Lord. That you watch over us, that you love us, that you care about us, our every need, Lord. You know it before we even ask. Pray, Father, your teachers not to worry. Teachers always to remember who our King is, our one and only King, Lord. Let us be light in the world that is falling around us, Lord. Let us be light in Jesus' name. Just pray for anyone here, Lord, that doesn't know you as King. Let today be the day, Lord. There's only one King worth following and it's you. Let today be the day, Lord. Pray for those in financial trouble, Lord. Teach them to lean on you, Lord, to follow you, to seek first your kingdom, to know your prosperity, Lord. Thank you, Father. That's really awesome. Guys, it's been a phenomenal day, but just remember that we're church through good and bad.